14, and we're reading from the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? May God bless to us that reading of his word. A drunk man stumbled out of a pub beside the river and began to wobble his way home. As he tottered by the riverside, he came across a Pentecostal pastor who was baptizing someone in the river. As he staggered towards the edge of the the river to see just what was going on, he lost his balance and he fell in the river. And a splash, enormous splash that he made startled the Pentecostal pastor who turned around and saw this man spluttering around in the waters. He grabbed hold of him and and steadied him and then began to smell the, the alcohol on his breath. And he said to him, Son, do you want to find Jesus? And the man said, yes, yes, of course I do. And with that he got hold of him and he pushed him back under the water and pulled him up and said to him, Son, have you found Jesus? And the drunk was quite taken aback by this and was spluttering, No, I haven't. And the Pentecostal pastor looked surprised and got hold of him again and pushed him back under the water. But this time held him down for longer and then pulled him up and said, Son, have you found Jesus? And again, the, the, the drunk man was getting rather surprised and, and rather worried about this and says, I, I'm sorry, but no, I haven't found Jesus. And the Pentecostal pastor was then therefore, therefore getting really, really upset that he wasn't working and got hold of him a third time and put him back under the water and this time held him down until arms began to splash around and feet began to kick. And eventually he pulled him up and said, Son, have you now found Jesus? And the drunk said, well, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> the question I have for you today is this. Have you found Jesus? Do you know and follow him? Because Christianity isn't about attending church. It's not about owning a Bible, even a big black King James Version. It's not about being a nice person, about being British. It's not even being a jolly good egg. Christianity, at its heart, isn't even a religion. You know, when I go on holiday, 
The last place I want to go and explore is around old churches. I'd much rather, like I used to as a boy, explore castles and exciting places because I find religion actually quite boring. Christianity is not about religion. When Jesus came down, he'd not come to bring yet another religion. The world was full of religions. He came down to do the very thing religion could never do, and that was provide a relationship, a relationship with God. Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. It has to be lived. It has to be known. Christianity is about knowing God. People, have you found Jesus? You see, it's about finding Jesus and knowing him in your life. Not just one day a week, not just on Sundays, or if you're really good, twice a day a week, twice, twice on Sundays. It is about knowing Jesus every day. He is your very breath, your very life. You live with him day by day because he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And this passage in Luke chapter 4 begins with Jesus returning from the desert. He'd been tempted there, as Terry told us, for 40 days and 40 nights. And as Terry rightly told you last week, the word for temptation is parasmos. And parasmos is a word that literally, in the Greek language, doesn't simply mean temptation, it means a test. A test. As you know, I've just left the military, and I was in the military for 25 years, and we would do regular tests called a BFT, a battle fitness test. And a battle fitness test was an hour of hell, an hour of pain, press-ups, sit-ups, and other exercises, stretching exercises, and they'll take you for a, for a, a formation run. And some of them, when I was at the Paris, was a, was a two-hour run uh, carrying 40 pounds on your back. Two-hour run that, because we are Paris, we did in an hour and, hour and 40 minutes. In fact, the last time I did it was an hour and 36 minutes. And trust me, running and trying to shave off half an hour on that test, you used to have bandages on our backs and on our shoulders from carrying the, 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 um, um, uh, the Bergens, the rucksacks, because it was so painful. Guys in between will be vomiting when they get back from the runs because you are physically exhausting. It was a test. It was painful. It wasn't nice. And others of you that do school tests and been to university and, and know what other tests are like. The exam. Three hours of hell. Three hours of realising that you've revised the wrong subjects. You've read the wrong books. You're going to quote the wrong scholars. Three hours of panicking and pulling your hair out and saying, how am I going to blag it with my examiner and convince them I know what I don't know? The test. The trial. Jesus came through a test, and it wasn't just one hour, it wasn't just three hours, it was 40 days and 40 nights, 960 hours worth of testing. And we're told in this passage, he doesn't just come out, um, uh, just doesn't just come out normally, he comes out returning the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. You see, what sustained him in that test was the power of God inside him. And when he came out from that test from the desert, the power of God was still inside him. And he knew victory because of his relationship. Not because of his religion, but because he was strong in the spirit of his father. He was strong in the spirit of God. He returns in the power of the spirit. 
The clue to the spirit there, of course, is there's a capital S. Whenever you have a capital S on spirit in the Bible, it always refers to the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And our strength comes from that relationship. As Jesus drew power from knowing God, we can draw power from knowing God. For all the trials, all the temptations, all the things you face in your life, you can overcome, not because you're you, but because Christ is in you. Not because you are strong, but because he is strong. And because that strength is in you, you become strong. He is the original um, spinach, you know, that made, made Popeye strong. Jesus gives us strength. You don't have to eat him. You can be filled with him day by day when you wake up and say, Father, fill me, give me your strength. Enable me to make all the, meet all the demands of this day. Fill me with your spirit. Make me strong. And what's fascinating is this gospel is written by a doctor. It's Luke's gospel, written by Dr. Luke, the physician of St. Paul. And you know that Luke is fascinated with the Holy Spirit. And you have to ask yourself a question, why? Because he's a doctor. Surely he should be concerned with the soma, the body, not the spiritus, the spirit. Why is Luke so concerned? It's because Luke has been dealing with sick people all his life. And he knows so much sickness in our lives. It's not simply because of sickness in the body. It's because of a sickness in the soul. Luke is a doctor. He knows that he's limited in what he can do to strengthen people. But he knows that God is unlimited. And when God is inside us by his spirit, we can be strong people. And so the whole of Luke's gospel is fascinated. And he's always drawing to the surface people empowered by the spirit of God. It starts in the very first part of the Bible, of Luke's Gospel. Luke 15, he talks about Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, the, the husband of Elizabeth. And he talks about Elizabeth and, and, and the child that's going to come up in her womb has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary, of course, is spoken to by the angel Gabriel. And she's told the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We heard about this a few weeks ago. He talks about Simeon, an old man. And of this old man, we're told the Holy Spirit was upon him and he'd been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, but he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Simeon, an old man, was full of the presence of God, strengthened by him. Luke carries on, John the Baptist. John the Baptist says to the crowd, I will baptize you with water, but the one... But he who is mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He talks about the Spirit being powerful in the Lord Jesus. And of course, of Jesus' baptism, we heard a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, in a dove. And so now he comes out of the desert. He comes out of the desert. He comes out of the desert full of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. You see, we live in a world that's actually very limited. All of us enjoy photographs. And most of us enjoy looking at colour photographs. But in the days gone by, they didn't have the facility for colour photographs. They had black and white photographs, monochrome. You can remember those, I've got some. Monochrome photographs. And the thing about monochrome photographs is that they're colourless. And many people in this world live in a colourless universe. Because they believe this universe is all about matter. Anything that's not matter doesn't matter. And they live in a black and white universe. And they think that's all there is. 
A new of ours, I've been watching a series on TV, Fiona and I, recently, a series about the Second World War, and it's got um, recently restored films in colour and, 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 and photographs that were taken in black and white that have been specially coloured, and it's quite remarkable to see the difference between black and white and colour. Suddenly the whole world comes alive. And the Bible tells us that we are not simply matter. We are made differently. We're more than that. We're richer than that. Of course, some of us don't believe that. Some of us are more likely to believe the words of another Mary. Hopefully that wasn't going to work, but it hasn't worked. Let's encourage it to work. got that wrong and she got this album wrong as well this song we're living in a material world and we're not living in a material world our world is far more she chooses to live in a material world and the song I was going to originally show you the, the YouTube clip and I thought it was a bit too raunchy for this church so I did, went for the lyrics instead <laughs> much I like seeing her dancing around in a leotard it was getting a bit it's uh, mischievous but the fact is she she believes and she says unless people uh, throw, throw their diamonds and their money upon me, I'm not interested. And obviously it's just a song, but many people believe that that is it. We live in a material world, and that is all there is to life. So when this matter breaks down, and you crumble into dust, and you're either cremated or laying in the ground, that is it. Index. No more. But the Bible doesn't teach that. And that's not my experience. And that's not the experience of many people here. We are matter. But there's something greater than matter within us, and that is the spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. And that spirit is the same as God, and that connects with God. And we need to learn to feed our spirit, enable that spirit to grow in our lives. We're not just living in a material world. When the SS Titanic sank during a maiden voyage and struck an, an iceberg, the radio operator sent out a distress signal. And that distress signal was this, S-O-S, S-O-S, save our souls, save our souls. It was not save our bodies, 
a sob. It was not save our diamonds, a sod. It was save our souls, S-O-S. Because you're not merely a body. You are more than a body. You have a spiritual dimension to you that God put there to relate to him, an eternal dimension that we have. And that's what the people were crying for to be saved. When the people came across the White Star Line um, offices the following day to find out news about whether their loved ones had made it, they crowded outside the offices and they were looking for the lists that were hung outside. And on the lists were two types of people. There were souls who were saved and souls who were lost. I wonder which type of soul you are. Have you found Jesus? You see, we're not just a body. We're not just matter. We're not just flesh and blood. We have a spiritual dimension, and that spiritual dimension is eternal, and it's precious. It's important. The Bible tells us this. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can worship God in spirit because you have a spirit. God has given you a spirit. You are not just animals. You are different from the animal kingdom. You are unique in creation. That's what the Bible tells us. You know, we love animals. We've got a big forest at the back of our garden, and we love looking at the birds nesting. I don't know if you've seen nests. Bird nests are quite wonderful. You know, they're incredibly constructed, and the lattice work of, of twigs and what have you, and sometimes birds will feather the bottom of the nest using fern, dry fern. Sometimes they use other feathers. Um, but they try and make the nest as comfortable as possible for their young. Quite remarkable, quite beautiful if you look at birds' nests. That's a robin feeding its young. Quite beautiful. But they're not cathedrals, ladies and gentlemen. They're not as advanced as human architecture because animals haven't got the ability to build like we build. We're human beings. So when we build something beautiful, we build something like Westminster, Chap uh, Westminster Cathedral. A beautiful building. Incredible design. You know, do birds' nests have floating buttresses? No, they don't. Do they have vaulted ceilings? Do they have frescoes? Do they have mosaics? No. Because birds are birds. They don't have a spirit. And all the animals in the animal kingdom don't have a spirit. They don't build cathedrals. They don't build incredible buildings. Because they're limited. Because they don't know God in spirit and in truth like you and I can know God. We are not just animals. And we are not just matter. We are special. Have you found Jesus? And so in this passage, we have this wonderful thing where Jesus comes out of the desert and he begins a preaching tour and he begins to go around and we're told, as we mentioned earlier on, he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside and he was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He was doing a bit of a tour. He was on trend. Jesus was on trend. He was the latest thing. He was going around the synagogues, teaching the people and people loved him. And he was doing something new. And so he stands and he's, he's given a scroll. And he begins to talk about his mission. He tells his manifesto. We're told, and the scroll of prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to prepare 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He tells us that he has been anointed. The Spirit of God is upon us. And his news, his message for everyone is good news. Not bad news. Oh, we could do with Jesus, couldn't we, down in Parliament right now, giving us some good news. Because we need good news in this world in which we live. And he began to say what the good news was. And the first thing he began to talk about is the fact that we need him. You see, inside of each one of us, there is a God-sized hole. And people who are born in this world spend their entire life trying to fill the emptiness deep down inside. Something that is missing, something that is lacking. And they try and fill that hole with everything. They try and fill it sometimes with food, and you get people who are overindulged in that and become obese. You get people that fill it with drugs to try, and, to try and deaden or enlighten them, and they get addicted. They try and fill the, the, the void with sex and drugs and rock and roll, whatever you can imagine. People try and fill this hole, but nothing works until you fill it with what it designed to be filled with, and that is with God. Because we were made by God, we were made to know God, we were made to be in a relationship with God. And as long as we don't, aren't in a relationship with God, you will always be searching. That is the end of the search. When God comes into you and is given in his rightful place right inside our lives. And Jesus said this because the first thing he said was he came to give good news to the poor. I'm not talking about here the poor in financially poor. He's talking about the spiritually poor. You know, we've got many wealthy people in this world, especially nowadays. One of the great sadnesses in our modern world, we've got more wealth than ever before, and yet we have less, smaller number of philanthropists. In the old days, you know, we had only a few wealthy people, but some of those wealthy people gave away vast fortunes to bless people. They were philanthropists. Nowadays, we've got millions of people um, who are very, very wealthy and fewer philanthropists than ever in the history of mankind. Because somehow, in all that wealth, people become spiritually poorer. It's not about spiritual. Jesus didn't come to increase people's income. He came to enrich their spirits. Freddie Mercury said this. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolation. Millions and millions of pounds but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. It's not about money. Jesus came to make us rich in our spirits. He said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He comes to build you up and make you the way you should be, that you know God and worship God and enjoy his presence in your life. Have you found Jesus? And he came also to bring liberty to the captives. He says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He came to give us liberty. And people in this day and age, very, a lot of people are addicted to things. Obviously, there's the obvious things to be addicted to, like alcohol and drugs. But people are addicted to TV. Some people are addicted to work. Some people are addicted to their hobbies. One of the most frightening things nowadays is the amount of people that are addicted to this, the smartphone. The smartphone that makes people stupid. 
I've been down London, walking along Oxford Street, and I've been bumped into once, one, one occasion by three people who couldn't see me because this was bigger than I was. Literally, in Oxford Street, walking into people because they're, you know, they walk into, in, out into the road and, 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 and get hooted by vehicles because they are addicted. We have many addictions in this world but distract us and lead us to be captive. And Jesus came to set us free. He came to give us the best there is. He came to liberate your spirit. He came to give you the best and the richest life you can possibly come. My favorite verse in the Bible is all about being set free. Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullness. And lastly, Jesus speaks about this to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blind. Next year is 2020. Wouldn't it be great if everyone here had 2020 vision in 2020? But he gave us the proper way of sight and able to see things as they really are. When I was a young man and served in the Royal Air Force at the age of 19, I used to, my biggest set of pleasure was actually alcohol, going out, getting drunk with my mates. And it wasn't particularly very fun, great fun because often it was followed by the judgment of the following morning. I remember going, going to a remembrance service and I was playing the, trump, uh, playing the cornet at this um, Reichswald War Cemetery in Germany. And I was so ill that morning that I had to ask the bus driver in the military bus to open the door so I could stand on the seat, uh, stand on the step and get the draft of the fresh air in because I was having to play Ravalli later on that morning at the, at the, at the uh, war memorial. I was that hungover. I wasn't enjoying life. I, often I'd go to sleep and I'd go to sleep crying because I had everything. I had a brand new car, tax-free car, and a big motorbike, I had a girlfriend, I had, I had everything I could possibly want, but I was not happy because there was something missing in my life. I was trying to fill that hole with things that were empty and it all ended up was emptiness. Jesus gave me sight. Have you found Jesus? He came to preach, he came to teach, he came to bring good news, he came to bring liberation, he came to bring right sight. But the question is, are we listening? Or are we even looking? Because Jesus wants to help us see things as they really are. Jesus. Jesus came to give us the best there is. He came to set us free. He came to give us life. He came to enrich your spirit, to make you people enjoying the best there is. And that doesn't happen through material things. It doesn't happen by getting or filling our lives with the empty things, but lose our importance and value in time. Jesus came 
to give us relationship, a relationship with God. Have you found Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. He is the truth. Don't leave this place without knowing that way and understanding that truth. Don't leave this place without finding Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing hymn. Before we do that, at the end of the service, there will be people at the front who will pray with people. If people want to pray, there will be some chairs out the front and people are welcome to come forward to pray. Just be careful you don't fall in the pool on the way to pray. Oh, for a thousand tongues.